before I start this podcast, yes, I know about the whole Vince McMahon resigning from TKO story. I just don't feel like it's appropriate due to the graphic nature of the story to be put on this podcast. There are a lot of allegations that are so graphic and so heinous that I really don't think should be covered on this podcast because you don't know who's listening to this podcast and it's just this subject matter in this story in which it's not suitable for all ages and I really don't want to go into it because some of the things that Vince McMahon allegedly did are downright horrendous, downright disgusting, and downright deplorable. Just remember, they're allegations. But I feel like I can't put this on my podcast because I don't want young listeners listening to this stuff, quite frankly. So I made the decision not to cover this news story at this time. If there's like more blowback to it. Like people getting fired and everything. I will cover that aspect. If anybody from the WWE side. Gets released by Endeavor. If Endeavor decides to fire them. I will cover that side of the story. But the main focus on that story. I will not cover on this podcast because I just feel like it's too graphic enough that it shouldn't be covered on this podcast. And this is supposed to be an all-ages podcast, not a R-rated podcast. So, thank you for your understanding. On this matter, if you people are wondering why I'm not covering this news story, this is why. Now with the podcast. Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Tower and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T, and this edition it is the 6th Annual Horror Show Awards. It's usually reserved for the best performances and best technical categories of 2023. It's more like my version of the Oscars, but it's kind of the horror Oscars, in my opinion. So... That is going to take up this whole show. Normally, I just talk about it. How this is basically one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult show to produce. As I don't do news segments on these episodes. The first couple episodes of the year. But it seems like I have five billion reasons to start this podcast off with a new segment here. That's right. Five billion reasons. Now, I really wish I had that Austin Powers theme. You know, the scene where Dr. Evil is talking to the UN and is making his demands and it has this sound where he says, One billion dollars. Now seriously, I wish I could say that for five billion dollars. Because yes, WWE Raw 
has a new home, everyone. And I know this is going to piss a lot of people off. As WWE Raw is going to Netflix. And I know it's going to piss a lot of people off. Just ask NFL fans who had to go to Peacock to watch the Chiefs versus the Dolphins. They don't like having to go to streaming services to watch their programming because it's now behind a paywall. This pisses off a lot of people, I can guarantee you. This is definitely going to piss off WWE fans because now they're going to pay for Netflix if they don't have it. On top of having Peacock. If you're the diehard WWE fan, now you have to subscribe to Peacock and Netflix starting in January 2025. Another base I think should really be pissed off is the Netflix base. Because your bill is probably going to go up. Seriously. And this is a big gamble for Netflix. I know, a lot of people who have Netflix are not going to be happy that WWE is on their network or the fact that Netflix paid $5 billion for WWE Raw. Because a lot of people who go to Netflix aren't going to see WWE programming. Let's face it, everyone. They just want to see movies. That's it. Comedic specials. That's it. When they find out there's a price increase, and yes, there'll probably be another 2 $3 price increase because Netflix is paying $5 billion for this for 10 years. It's not going to sit well with people who have Netflix. I can guarantee you that. It really puts a lot of their scripted shows in danger. Thankfully for Netflix, they didn't go all in as they can opt out of this deal after five years. And there's also an option for Netflix to extend it for another ten years if they really wanted to. So literally, WWE Raw could be on Netflix for 20 years if they do very well. It is a big deal, as Netflix has the complete rights to Raw, meaning every territory, U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, I believe Latin America as well, are all going to be on Netflix. And it really will be interesting to see if it lasts 10 years, because they do have an opt-out after five if things go south. Which is probably a good idea, because this is the first of its kind. As things are changing now, because everything that you think was on cable is now starting to go to streaming. You have NFL games, like I said before, on streaming. You have NASCAR that's going to go on streaming through Amazon Prime. But really... When I found out Netflix was the winner of this contract, I was shocked. Because I didn't think they were in the running. Because all along I was hearing either Disney, WB, Discovery, or Amazon Prime. 
Nobody had Netflix. But it's amazing that Netflix was sort of a dark horse here. Because the thing is with Netflix is they don't have experience running live streaming programming. They may have, I think, done it once or twice and it didn't work out too well from what I heard. So, I don't know what they're doing, seriously. But then again, maybe they can work things out since they have a year because it won't happen until January 2025. Meaning, WWE Raw will be out of a home from October to January. Which is weird. Seriously. You think it would start in October after the USA deal, but no. This is going to be a real test to see if a viable property like WWE can survive on streaming. Because if it can, then it's going to change the landscape of everything. Do I think it's a good move for WWE? If they went to streaming with Monday Night Raw with Amazon Prime per se, because literally I think they have the infrastructure to do live streaming as is. So, and I'm not sure what Netflix is capable of in terms of infrastructure in live streaming. So it's going to be very interesting to see if this works. Because this could be a disaster. And then in five years from now, WWE would be looking for a new home. And if that's the case, then this would have been a really bad experiment. But it's going to be interesting to see if it can survive on Netflix. But first, Netflix needs to get that infrastructure to make sure the live streaming capabilities work perfectly. Because if that doesn't work perfectly, then this is not going to work well. I can tell you that right now. I'm hoping for the best, seriously. Because we can see more stuff go on streaming as we continue to get away from cable television. Because that's where it's heading, everyone. Streaming, not cable television. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this deal. And that's the news. Discussion is your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. Speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Now, welcome to the 6th Annual Horror Show Awards. 
Now, for those who don't know what the horror show what is, it's usually my version of the Oscars, where I honored the best in horror. And I got a lot of categories here. So that's usually the big show, probably the most difficult show, besides the horror whammies to produce every year. Now... Since I've got, like, so many categories, seriously, we've got about pretty much 17, 18 categories to go through here. It's more categories than the horror whammies, that's for sure. But it's focusing more on the positivity of 2023. With that, let's start off the 6th Annual Horror Awards Show. First up... Film or film studio that surprised me in a good way, either in something I didn't expect or it surpassed my expectations. Now, I made a modification to this category because this year it's a film studio that I am giving this award to because... They surprised my expectations this year by far. But first, last year, I chose for the award, Terrified 2 making $10 million at the box office, which totally surprised me because literally I thought this was going to be a one and done for Terrify in terms of weeks in theaters, but it wasn't. The sixth annual horror show award... For film or film studio that surprised me in a good way, either in something I didn't expect, or film that surprised my expectation goes to Full Moon Features receiving three five-star ratings. Now, every year I rate films on Letterboxd. If you don't know, that's the site where you pretty much rate films, write reviews for films. I use that site to keep track of my top ten list of the year. Well, when the year ended, I ended up having three five-star films from Full Moon Features. And this was a company last year in 2022 where... It was not a good year sitting through some films there. Sure, there was a couple three, four-star films, but it had a couple one-star films. This year was very different from the studio. As I really thought this was a very good year for Full Moon Features. If you take the three five-star films, you have two more films that got four stars. Like Amy the Visitor and Bad CGI Gator. Who'd have thunk that bad CGI gator would get four stars? Not me. But the films that received five stars from formal features this year included Subspecies for Five Blood Rice. Okay, that's probably to be expected because it's a subspecies film. And usually subspecies, along with Puppet Master films, are very good, if done right. And with the same crew on the subspecies films from past on it, there is basically no way this film was going to be a bad film. I had high expectations that was 
met for this film, but you had two films that really surprised me from the studio. First, Bring Her to Me. Now, this is a film where I just didn't think would work. Seriously. It has more of the erotic horror feel to it, but this film does a very good job really blending in the horror and the erotic elements to it, making it a very entertaining film. And I also really loved the twist ending to this film as well, as it seems like there's been a lot of twist endings to Full Moon feature films this year, which have been good. It's been for the better Seriously, for this company, you can't do the same films where you just do the slasher genre with the dolls and so on. And the other one actually deals with dolls or demonic toys to be exact. Uh, So when I went into Demonic Toys Jack Attack, I had zero expectation of this being very good. I literally thought it was going to be like the Baby Oopsie series. Where it just be silly, dumb. The first Baby Oopsie film was good. The second two was alright. It just got too silly. And I really thought Demonic Toys Jack Attack would be silly. But instead it was downright horrifying. Very gothic. It was something where I wish... That film was at least 90 minutes. As that could have gone 90 minutes. But it had great writing. Very good acting in the film. And a very good twist ending too. Which I liked a lot. Wasn't expecting that one. Seriously. That's what made Full Moon Features very good this year. Quite frankly. It's the fact that they gone outside the box. They're going away from their toys and the stupidity of some of their films. And yes, I know they did bad CGI Gator, which was a good film, surprisingly. I had fun. And I'm not a fan of those stupid, dumb films. But it was good. It was fun. But they've done a lot of serious stuff this year. With Demonic Toys Jack Attack... Subspecies 5, Bring Her to Me, Amy the Visitor. This was a year where a lot of the full moon feature stuff was very dark. And it really pays off in quality. This is probably one of the best years since the Paramount era. Because I can't remember a year where full moon features has had this great run of films. You have to go all the way back to the Paramount era. Seriously. Where you had your puppet masters, your shrunken heads, your lurking fear, the Transers films. It's been a long time since Full Moon Features has been very good. And we haven't even gotten the Primevals yet. Which should be coming out this year. Finally. As everything is done with that film, it's currently playing film festivals. Last time I heard. So eventually that's going to be on the streaming service. And also I would love to see them partner up again with Screambox. They did it with Subspecies 5 Blood Rise. Because if they partner up with Screambox with these films. It would be a great way to at least get 
80-minute films, which would be great for the studio. Because I got a feeling, I hope we get more of that in 2024. Because I got a feeling probably the primeables is going to end up on Screenbox. That's probably a prediction there. I'll make that prediction right now that the primeables will make it on Screenbox. Enough with this rant. We're going way too long here. But for a Full Moon Features fan like me who grew up watching horror on USA, on the sci-fi channel, and watching all these Full Moon Features films on there, I have to say this was the best year that Full Moon Features has had since the Paramount era. Definitely subscribe to the Full Moon Features channel because they've got some good stuff from this past year. Next up, best score. Last year, I chose Dark Glasses. The sixth annual horror show award for best score goes to No One Will Save You. Now, No One Will Save You is one of those films where it's completely dialogueless, with the exception of maybe a couple of words of dialogue. That is it. As this film heavily relies on performance, emotion, but one of the things that also really made this film very good was the film's score. As the score really needed to be good as well to be a part of this film, because literally, when you're dealing with a film that is pretty much silent in terms of speaking, you better have a very good score to accompany that film, or else you're not going to have an entertaining film, because you need to hit those terrifying notes, you need to hit those emotional notes in the score. And this score does that very well as it feels like another character in the film. It really made this film entertaining. It helped really move this film along a lot. As this could have been one of those films that really just fell flat on its face. But it just has a great score to lift this film up. To the point where you're continuously watching this film. And interested in the action and story. It's like the old silent film days. Where they would have the score be the center point. In this film the score felt like the center point of this film. And that's what you need. A score that feels like the center point of a film. When you have no dialogue. And that's what happened here with No One Will Save You. And that's why I gave it best score. Next up, best costume. Last year I chose Pearl. This year, the 6th annual horror show award for best costume goes to Evil Dead Rise. Now, one of the things I liked about the costumes in this film was it had a very dark, grungy feel to it. Especially when you had the setting this run-down apartment building. It really felt right to have the costumes look like that as well. It made it dark, which we expect this is an Evil Dead film. It's going to be dark. But you wanted to hit that tone in every way possible. 
whether of the look of the film to the action to the costumes that are used in this film. Because it really helped the dark tone of this film a lot. As if you're going to do something in the city and it's like a rundown building as is, costumes have to be like grungy look to mesh in with the cinematography and everything. It really helped make this film look more and fit the setting of the film. Because it really worked because of the costumes. It really added to the darkness of this film. That's why I chose it for best costume. Moving on to best special effects. Last year I chose Terrifier 2. This year, the 16 year old horror show award for best special effects goes to Evil Dead Rise. Make it number two for Evil Dead Rise in the Horror Show Awards. The special effects in this film were just insane. A lot of very good gore effects. I like the fact that director Lee Cronin and his special effects team make sure that they have a lot of gore in this film. Make it look very dark, very serious. Especially towards the end of this film where it really becomes a splatter film. In the vein of terror fire. With all the, the blood in the elevator scene. And the final confrontation as well. That was also very gory. I like the fact that they do a great job with the way they handle the effects. Even the look of the creature at the end. Or the way the demons looked. Everything's done in a way where it's horrifying. You're literally terrified. And it really provided tense moments. Again, especially towards the end of the film with that creature. It was just very good. Great gore effects. This is why Evil Dead Rise is one of my favorite films of 2023. And it's why it brought new life to the Evil Dead series as a whole. Because while the cabin setting was kind of getting stale... And the effects really was just top notch. That's why it wins best special effects. Best makeup. Last year I had Terrifier 2. The 6th annual horror show award for best makeup goes to Evil Dead Rise. Make that number 3 for Evil Dead Rise in the horror show awards. The makeup is just great. I like the fact that the demons looked very good. I like the fact that they had this really demonic look to them. Very scary looking. Whether it's in the opening scene. Or when we get to the apartment building. And all these deadites show up. Every deadite really felt very scary. And very frightening. And it's a credit to the makeup team. In making that very scary. Because along with these special effects. The makeup was just top notch. It provides some horrifying looks. At the deadites. Which I think look very better. Than in previous Evil Dead films. I like how they made them look a specific way. To adapt to the film's setting as well. As it really made it blend in with the film setting. So 
that's literally why I chose Evil Dead Rise for best makeup because literally the Deadites are very horrifying in this film. Probably more so than in any other Evil Dead film in terms of look. Next, best cinematography. Last year I chose Pearl for best cinematography. The 16-year-old horror show award for best cinematography goes to Infinity Pool. Now, one of the really good things about Infinity Pool was the way this film was shot. It had a very dark feel to it throughout. I like how the cinematographer made sure that the look of the film had this dark and dreary look to it. It really added to this film to the point that it was an asset to this film. As this is a twisted film that relied on twisted imagery. And the cinematographer in this film captures it very well here. As it provides some very twisted images in this film. Including the final third act of this film as well. As it was just horrifying to watch with the imagery. But the cinematographer does a really good job making sure he captures those images as they were uneasy to watch at times. It really helped with the look of the film as you wanted to have this uneasy feel to it. And the cinematographer really captures it in a way that you felt like this was an uneasy film to watch. Even though this is a very good film. You want to have an uneasy feel to a film. Especially like a film like Infinity Pool. Where it has to be uneasy to watch. To get the effectiveness of the horror. And the cinematographer in this film does a really good job capturing all the images here. As it really provides some great twisted moments that made it horrifying and made it intense. That's why I chose Infinity Pool for best cinematography. Moving on, best editing. Last year I had Pearl for best editing. The sixth annual horror show award for best editing goes to No One Will Save You. Now, No One Will Save You is a film that is dialogueless. So, one of the things that this film really needed to do very well and succeed was the editing process. Because you could have scenes that go on for way too long. Especially when you're in a film that has very little dialogue to begin with. But I really thought the editing really helped the pace of this film a lot. Because it helped move the story along. It helped keep your interest and it also helped that the scenes didn't feel like they were dragging on. To the point where you're just sitting there being bored. Or just sitting there complaining why there's no dialogue. The editor in this film does a really good job in making sure that the scenes have an impactful feel to them. He lets a lot of the action go on, which is good. And I really also thought... He does a good job in letting the scenes play out. Because again, this is a dialogueless film. And when you have a dialogueless film, like a silent film, with the exception of maybe a few words in this film, 
you're going to have a film that's going to need a great score and it's going to really need editing to be very good, quite frankly. Because seriously, if the editing is not very good in this film and if scenes are too short or too long, it could get to the point where this film doesn't fully develop what it's intending to do with its main character and the crisis at hand. But the editor in this film does a good job making sure that everything's done in a way that you're not screaming there saying, this is too long, this is boring, all that stuff. Thankfully, the editing was great because it needed to be a very perfect edited film given the fact that we have little dialogue. And that's why I chose No One Will Save You for Best Editing. Next up, Best Documentary. Last year, I chose Pennywise, the story of It. The 16-year-old horror show award for Best Documentary goes to Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares. The Robert England story. This is pretty much the second year in a row that a Scream Box documentary has taken this award. And it shows the growth of Scream Box as a whole. As they put out some really good stuff this year. But one of their best films was Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares to Robert England story. This was a great documentary. It's very long too. But... I didn't mind the running time for this film at all. Going at 2 hours and 14 minutes. This documentary could have gone 3 hours and I probably would not complain. Because this is one of those documentaries or horror documentaries that left me wanting more. The filmmakers do a very good job here in making you want more. I like the fact that they highlighted Robert England's entire career, whether it's Nightmare on Elm Street, to V, to some of his smaller films. They do a good job getting the whole picture. And having Robert England in the documentary alongside his wife was very good as well as it really added something to Robert England as a person. I also like the fact that the filmmakers really took the time to make sure that this documentary was great. Because I wanted to see a Robert England documentary from the moment I saw the Kane Hodder documentary to Helen Bat. And it ranks up there with Kane Hodder's documentary. But I probably prefer Kane Hodder's documentary a little more because of the stories that he goes into in his past, which made it more interesting. But this documentary was great, too. It really highlighted his career. It really could have gone three hours And I will not complain. The fact that it went 2 hours and 14 minutes, I did not complain at all. Because sometimes when you're doing a documentary, you got to be careful about the running time. Because if you go too long and you're just not hitting points about a person or a film, then you're literally just 
slowing everything down and don't want that in a documentary. You want to learn new things about the person, which I did hear. It's a great documentary. Definitely check this documentary out. Whether on Blu-ray or Screenbox, it's a great documentary. And it's why Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story, is the winner for best documentary. We are halfway through the horror show awards here, everyone. So we're going to take a brief intermission, then I'll be back with some more awards, including the big ones, all the way up to best independent horror film. As best film, you're going to have to wait to next episode. But everything else will be this episode. Be back in a minute or two. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the Two from Hell. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two from Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify and other podcast providers and don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not gonna want to miss the show. Welcome back. We are halfway done through the 6th Annual Horror Show Award. Let's move on to the next category. Best Screenplay. Last year, I chose Pearl. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Screenplay goes to No One Will Save You. Now, this is a film that had a very good screenplay. And it's kind of hard to write a very good screenplay when you have little dialogue. But Brian Duffield's screenplay does a very good job with the way he writes it. Now, one of the things he makes sure is that the main character is the main focal point in this film. You don't have many side characters. You pretty much have one character throughout this film. Sure, you have a couple here and there, but very minor characters. There's only like one main character in this film. And 
Dufferfield does a very good job in really making sure this character has a lot of emotion to it. He does a very good job in the way he makes sure the action keeps your interest throughout. And I also like the way he wrote these intense scenes in this film. Because it really kept me very interested in a film that has maybe, what, five, six, seven words of dialogue? Which is unheard of for a modern day film. You just don't see films having five, six, seven words of dialogue in a film. You just don't see it. Because it's not commercially viable to have it. Granted, this film was on Hulu, but to even put that type of film on Hulu was kind of a risk on 20th Century Studios' part. But it was a very good film, quite frankly. It really was very entertaining throughout. Everything had intensity to it in the screenplay aspects. And it's what really kept me very interested in the film's story. It allows you to become invested in the main character. And he also does a good job in the way he paces everything in this film. So you're not getting too claustrophobic or is going too fast. He just paces the action right in the screenplay, which really made it a very entertaining film. And that's why no one will save you picks up best screenplay. You can make that number three for No One Will Save You at this year's Howard Show Awards. We are now into the acting categories. Best Supporting Actress. Last year, I chose Jenner Ortega for X. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Supporting Actress goes to Cleopatra Coleman for Infinity Pool. One of the things that really doesn't get noticed in Infinity Pool a lot was Cleopatra Coleman's performance in the film. As she does a very good job with the whole subplot with Alexander Sarsgaard as she plays the wife of Sarsgaard's character in the film. One of the things I really liked about her performance is that it is on par with Sarsgaard as the two had very good chemistry with each other. It helped made the whole couple's dynamic subplot work even better as I was really into this whole relationship that both Sarsgaard and Coleman had in the film. Especially in the scenes where the marriage starts to deteriorate. With all the happenings going on around Sasuke's character and how it's affecting his relationship with his wife. I think Coleman really handles those scenes very well. And it's on par with Sasuke's performance. It made me very engaged with the whole subplot of the whole relationship as Sasuke's character gets drawn into this underworld of this resort. She really does a good job making her character stand out in the limited time she had in this film. If there was really anything that was wrong with Infinity Pool was the fact 
that we don't get to see much of this relationship as she pretty much leaves the film midway through the film. But I would have loved to have seen more scenes in the relationship in which her character and Sasuke's character had. As that was, I think, one of the most interesting things in that film. Besides all the weirdness and crazy stuff that goes on in this film. But it's Coleman's performance that really made that whole subplot work very well. And that's why I chose Cleopatra Coleman for Best Supporting Actress for Infinity Pool. Make that number two for Infinity Pool in this sixth annual horror show award. Next up, Best Supporting Actress. Actor. Last year, I chose Ethan Hawke for The Black Phone. That was a very serious movie. Unlike this one here. That's getting this award for Best Supporting Actor. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Supporting Actor goes to... Wait for it. Wait for it. Nicolas Cage for Renford. Yes, I am not kidding you, People, I really thought Nicolas Cage' performance as Dracula was the best supporting performance in 2023. Now wait for my logical reasoning, people. I know, it was Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. But to do that as Dracula really has to take some balls. The typical neurotic performance, you know, that Nicolas Cage is accustomed to. And I will say this, it was a great performance, literally. He literally stole this film from Nicolas Hoyt. It's just, it's supposed to be Nicolas Hoyt's film, as he's the title character of Renfield here. But the only thing I thought about after seeing Renford was Nicolas Cage being Dracula. As that was just the typical Nicolas Cage performance. It works so well here. He's very funny. He has great chemistry with Nicolas Hoyt, Aquafina. Any scene he was in, he stole it. Literally. I know you're trying to make a franchise out of Nicholas Hoyt's Renfield here, but Nicholas Cage literally stole this film from Nicholas Hoyt. It's going to be a cult classic, people. I'm telling you this right now. Renfield in about 10 years will be a cult classic. And it's because of Nicholas Cage's performance in this film. I said this when I reviewed this film on the podcast. That is going to be a cult classic. And that's the reason why. If you take any other person as Dracula, I don't know if this film works so well. But to have Nicolas Cage just be Nicolas Cage and do the typical Nicolas Cage stick worked very well here. I did not think it would. But it did. It literally was... One of my favorite horror comedies of the year. Not the best horror comedy. There is another film that beats Redfield. I may talk about that next episode. But if you take Nicolas Cage out of Redfield, it's a totally different film. Let's face it. So that's why I chose Nicolas Cage as Dracula for Redfield 
for Best Supporting Actor. Because literally, you take Nicolas Cage out of this film, it's a totally different film. Let's face it, I don't think anybody else would have put that charismatic performance into one of the most iconic horror villains of all time besides Nicolas Cage. And it was literally one of my highlights of 2023. Nicolas Cage being Dracula and doing the role very well, quite frankly. That's why I chose her for Best Supporting Actor. Moving on, Best Actress. Last year, I had Mia Goth for Pearl in X. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Actress goes to Caitlin Dever for No One Will Save You. One of the things that really makes No One Will Save You very good was Caitlin Dever's performance in the film. She does a very good job in making her character very interesting throughout this whole film. Given the fact that she rarely spoke in the film, she does a really great job conveying the emotions that her character goes through during the course of the film. As this is one of those films that you literally have to convey your emotions through expressions and everything. And Deborah does a very good job in doing that. As this is a difficult role. As she had to really make this character very interesting through various mannerisms, facial expressions during the course of this film to sell the action. Especially the scenes where she's being chased by the aliens in the film. She does a great job in making you engaged in the action and her character. And this is something that is really one of the things that I really loved about No One Will Save You. As this is a really difficult role to pull off, but Deborah does a very good job in making sure she doesn't overdo the mannerisms. It doesn't get annoying. And you really actually care about this character, even though she's going through a hellish experience. It kept the movie interesting throughout its running time. The way she really takes charge of her role and really made it a highlight of this film. As there could have been other actresses I could have gone to for this award, but this was more difficult to pull off. And when it's pulled off perfectly, those are the performances I like the best. And that's why I chose Kaylin Dever for Best Actress for No One Will Save You. Make that number four for No One Will Save You at this year's Power Show Awards. Moving on to Best Actor. Last year... I chose Mason Thamus for The Black Phone. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Actor goes to Alexander Sarsgaard for Infinity Pool. Now, Infinity Pool was very well acted in this film. Literally. I've already talked about Cleopatra Coleman's performance in this film. Mia Goth was also very good in this film. As well. But the lead character in this film. Alexander Sarsgaard was just great. 
as he really helps drive the twisted action that goes on in this film. As this is one of those films where it's very twisted from start to finish. What do you expect? You're watching a film directed by a Cronenberg. Either David Cronenberg or his son Brandon Cronenberg will give you twisted films. And that was definitely the case with Infinity Pool. But one of the things I loved about it was the fact that Alexander Sarsgaard does a very good job in the way he handles that material in this film. As there are some scenes that are just so twisted, demented. But Sarsgaard really pulls those scenes off very well in this film. He does a great job with the way he plays his character in the film. As he brings a level of intensity to his role. As he does a good job bringing these twisted moments to life. Including moments where the character is humiliated. To the final third of this film where he was just on fire with his performance. Another thing that I liked about his performance was the fact that he was able to make his character very interesting. As his character descends into madness. He does a good job in making sure... That this character doesn't go way too off the spear. He makes sure it's not overacted. He makes sure that you're watching a character that is going through hell and back. He pulls this role off very well here. As it really makes this film very good. I really enjoyed Infinity Pool, as this is just a twisted psychological horror film that will haunt you after the credits run. It is just downright twisted, and one of the main reasons why it works so well is Alexander Saskatchewan's performance, as he also does have great chemistry with his co-stars too, which also really made this a very entertaining film. And that's why I chose Alexander Sarsgaard for Best Actor for Infinity Pool. Make it number three for Infinity Pool at this year's Horror Show Awards. Next up, Best Director. Last year, I chose Ty West for Pearl. The 6th Annual Horror Show Award for Best Director goes to Lee Cronin for Evil Dead Rise. Now, this is a film that really surprised me a lot this year, Evil Dead Rise. Because going into this film, I did not know what to expect. I never heard of Lee Cronin, with the exception of the fact he did a film called The Hole in the Ground. And it really was a director that hadn't done much up until Evil Dead Rise. So, there was this kind of mystery going into this film. But I really thought the direction of this film was great. One of the things that I really liked about the direction of this film was the fact that Cronin does a really good job keeping the action moving. I liked the fact that he makes sure that everything is going at a good pace. This is what you want in an Evil Dead film. A lot of action, a lot of gore. A lot of intensity. Cronin does a really great job in capturing the action, directing the action, making sure the action had intensity to it. It really made 
for an excellent film. And another thing that I really liked about Lee Cronin's direction was the way he directs his cast here, especially his two leads in the film, as I thought he makes sure that the lead performances in this film stand out. He does that by making sure that he gets intensity out of both of his actresses. He makes sure that they're both committed to the role. And that's something you want in a film and in a director to make sure that his actors and his actresses are committed with the material, no matter what the film. And Cronin does a great job here as it provides some really gory, intense moments, some really notable moments from this film. And that comes from really good directing. Especially the scene where Elise Sutherland says, Mommy's with the maggots now. I like how he directs that in a way that is just so terrifying. Whether it's on screen or the way they produced the vocals for that line. It's done in a way that is terrifying. And I also like the fact that he makes his heroine very intense, especially towards the end of this film when it gets balls to the walls gory. He does a great job making sure that the action is great. He does a great job making sure that Lily Sullivan is given great direction in making sure that her character is very intense in those final scenes. It made it for an intense finale, and quite frankly, one of the best finales of the year in horror. And it goes to directing. You have to direct the scenes, you have to make sure the direction is really good, that the final product comes off as an intense throw ride. And that's what Evil Dead Rise was, an intense throw ride. And it's a credit to Lee Cronin's direction. And that's why I chose him for Best Director. Make that number four for Evil Dead Rise in this year's Horror Show Awards. We are up to the final two awards in this year's Horror Show Awards. Best Foreign Horror Film and Best Independent Horror Film. Last year, for Best Foreign Horror Film, I chose Dario Argento's Dark Glasses. For Best Independent Horror Film, I chose Pearl. The 6th Annual Horror Show Awards for Best Foreign Horror Film and Best Independent Horror Film goes to Talk To Me. Now, this is a film that came out of Australia and took the horror world by storm this year. This was one of those films that literally came out of nowhere. It played at the Sundance Film Festival. Then A24 picked the film up for distribution. Then it surprisingly did well at the box office. One of the things that really made this film great was the direction from Michael and Denny Philip Poole, as they both did a great job keeping the action moving it had a very intense feel to it as they did a great job with the direction whether it was the action scenes or the dialogue scenes it really helped made this an entertaining film they also did a great job directing the cast as well the film also has strong 
female lead performances from Sophia Wilde, Miranda Otto, and Alexander Jensen. The film also had very uneasy and gory moments as well, which made it horrifying to watch at times. It also has a very good screenplay from Danny Philippou, Bill Hitzman, and Daly Pearson. They make sure they do a good job in handling the characters and spending time with them and developing them before all hell breaks loose. I like how films spend time with their characters before they start with the action. This does this very well here. They do a good job creating intense moments, intense scares. It really made for a very entertaining film. And it's really one of those films... That literally surprised me. Because this is one of those films that had a lot of hype to it. And when it has a lot of hype to it. Then sometimes these films don't work out very well. Talk to Me works out very well. I thought it was an excellent film. It really is something that people need to go out of their way and watch. Even if you're not into these Australian horror films. It's still a very good watch from an acting standpoint, direction standpoint, and from intensity. It was just an entertaining film from start to finish. And why it's popping up on a lot of people's list end of year. That's why I chose Talk to Me for Best Foreign Film and Best Independent Horror Film. Giving it two wins in the Horror Show Awards. And with that, it wraps up the 6th Annual Horror Show Awards. Here's a quick recap of the awards. No One Will Save You in Evil Dead Rise got 4 awards. Infinity Pool got 3. Renfield got 1. Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story got 1. And Talk to Me got 2. And that's it for this year's Horror Show Awards. You can follow Anti-T's Horror and Wrestling Show on these social media providers. At Anti-T's Horror Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher app. You can find Anti-T's Horror and Wrestling Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. You can also listen to the podcast at YouTube.com slash at Media and DocDiscussions.com. What's Anthony T watching? Well, this is a film that would have been on my top 10 list if I saw this film in 2023. But I not see this film in 2023. In fact, I saw this film right before the end of production of this episode. So... It doesn't count for the best of 2023. But I just figured I'd get it out of the way. Because it's such a very good film. I'm talking about Joe Lynch's latest film, Suitable Flesh. Now, this is a film that's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. The Thing on the Doorstep. Now, one of the things that really attracted me to this film was definitely Joe Lynch directing. Plus, it has Barbara Crampton in it. Plus... It has Heather Graham in it. Plus, the screenplay was written by Dennis Pioli from Reanimator fame. So, this was definitely 
a must-see for me. As I was literally hoping this would come to streaming on Shudder before the end of 2023, but it didn't. So I ended up waiting until I got physical media for this title. But anyway, I really enjoyed Suitable Flush a lot. This one had a lot of reanimated vibes to it, from the look of Mr. Tonic Hospital to the tone of the film, which has this very morbid-like tone to it, to the point where it really felt like it could take place in the Reanimator universe. One of the things I really liked about it was Joe Lynch's direction. He does a very good job with the way he approaches this film. I like how he is able to direct serious material like this. He does a very good job in making sure that the scenes fit the tone of the screenplay, whether the way he approaches those scenes, to the way he directs the dialogue, he keeps the action moving, which is a credit to Joe Lynch's direction. As he's really an underrated director, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten many films to his credit in the horror genre. Because the guy can direct horror. We saw in Chillerama, we saw it in Mayhem, and we see it again in Suitable Flesh. I like he also keeps the material engaging throughout, whether it's the way he handles his cast, as he makes sure that he gets the chemistry within the cast to work so well, as they really gelled in this film, as there were some really good performances in this film from Heather Graham, Judah Lewis, Jonathan Screech, and Barbara Crampton. All of them had very good performances in this film, especially Heather Graham's performance in this film, as it really stood out from all the other performances in this film. Graham does a very good job making sure she handles the twisted material, whether it's the body swapping scene in the Waits home, to anything that goes on in the second half of the film. She really does a great job really making her character very twisted, very intense, and very engaging. It really made this film very good, I thought, as that performance really stands out. The film also has an excellent screenplay from Dennis Pioli. He does a very good job making sure this film had a morbid and gothic feel to it, whether it's the way he writes the main characters to how he slowly builds the tension in the film. It really made for, for some interesting scenes. I liked also how he writes the dialogue here, as some of the scenes have intense dramatic feel to them. It helped move the story along and provide some very good moments. He also does a great job with the way that he handles the body swapping elements and the sexual elements in this film. As it's done in a way that is serious and also horrifying at the same time. As there were some of those scenes where there was some tension to them which really helped make this film very good and very entertaining. I really like this film a lot. I thought Suitable Flesh is a very good H.P. Lovecraft film. It has all the elements of a Lovecraft film that keeps you 
engaged and interested in the very surrealistic material. I also like the fact that they also decide to have some callbacks to Reaminator 2 with the morgue and the hospital scenes. As those scenes look like they came out of Reaminator, which I really liked. Because I like it when films pay homage to other classic films. And it's done in a way that it fits with the story. And this is the world of H.P. Lovecraft. So if you have those scenes look like the same from Reaminator, it's going to fit very well. And it doesn't feel out of place or distracting. And that's what I really liked about this film. It pays homage to Reaminator and all the other films. And then this is a film that I think Stuart Gordon would be proud of. As this would be the type of film that you could see him directing, quite frankly. Overall, this is definitely worth checking out. With its great acting, its very good screenplay, and great direction from Joe Lynch. Suitable Flesh is a erotic horror film that really pushes... The Limit, and provides for one twisted thrill ride. Five stars. Next episode will be a quick turnaround, as it will be the best of 2023 episode, as I will be joined by Philip Perone and Barrett Heister from Doc Discussions Podcast, as we'll chat about the top ten films of 2023. I'll also have a couple of questions to ask as well. Besides that, I will also have my first 2024 review. That's right. The film that will go wire to wire with every other release in 2024. Not telling you what it is. You have to listen to episode 111. In episode 112, still debating what to do on episode 112. I kind of want to get a guest on, but I also have the Royal Rumble to deal with too. So I haven't decided if I want to bring a guest on or do the Royal Rumble review. But I will chat about the Royal Rumble in one way or another in episode 112. Whether it be in the news segment or an interview, because I want to get back to interviewing that's something I really missed last year on this podcast. With the strike and everything, I didn't want to interview any directors or anything because of the nature of the strike. I want to get back to interviewing this year. That's one of my goals for this podcast, as that's been severely lacking in recent months here on Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. So I'm debating what to do on episode 112. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror.
This has been a film arcade media production.